Assalamu alaikum, this is Maliha Mahmoud. Welcome to Muslim Health Talk, a place to discuss natural ways of healing and health and wellness and finding that balance that the Prophet wasallam so beautifully um, provided for us. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma zidni ilman. Oh Allah, please increase us in knowledge. It's so wonderful to have you guys join again. Um, this special Ramadan series has been really nice. It's helped me to um, review all the hadiths that I have. I have hundreds of them, but I figured I'd start with the first 40 that I've memorized. And mashallah, I remember when I memorized my first 40 hadiths with my teacher, we had a little party at the end. We had like a little khatam. So inshallah, when we are done, um, I hope that you can ha also celebrate and be proud of yourself because this is beautiful. And it's something that we can, when we meet the Prophet wasallam, say that we've learned your words, right? Ya Rasulullah. And um, hopefully have him smile and be pleased with us. So today is hadith number 15. Hadith number 15, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-bari'u bis-salami bari'un min al-kibr. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the one who initiates the salam is free from pride. So the one who is the one who says, Assalamu alaykum, right? This hadith was narrated by Abdullah ibn Masood. Anhu. Abdullah ibn Masood was a very young boy, a very notable companion of the Prophet ﷺ. At the age of about 10, maybe 11, we don't know exact, he used to tend the sheep and the goats for the um, the Quraysh in, in Mecca, right? For people who were against Islam and, and were enemies of, his, of the Prophet ﷺ. And the man he used to uh, tend goats for was was named Uqba bin Mu'ayt, who was very, very wealthy. Abdullah bin Masood lived with his mother, and they were both very, very poor, extremely poor. And he was called Ibn Um Abd, which means the son of the mother of the slave. That's how poor he was. He was not a slave, but because of because he was so poor, they looked down on him, right? And they called him this name, Ibn Abd. Abdullah had heard about the Prophet ﷺ, and he called people to and that and that the Prophet ﷺ was calling people to Islam. But Abdullah was not interested because he was really busy with tending goats and sheep and trying to make a, some sort of um, lively, livelihood for himself and his mother. And he was too young and he wasn't really aware of what, what the message really was. So he used to leave really early in the morning to graze these goats. So you can imagine like there's tons of goats and he would take it out into the pasture out into the field have them eat and graze and then bring them back but make you know it's it's not an easy job and every prophet was was a um a shepherd because when a person is a shepherd it teaches them to be patient with the flock of sheep or goat or whatever they have because you cannot 
tell them, don't go here, don't go there. And you cannot run after one of them and the other one will get lost, right? You need to make sure that the 50 shepherd that you take out, you're able to bring all 50 back without any of them getting lost. And they do get lost because they're grazing and they don't look around, right? So he used to leave really early in the morning and he had he had heard whispers of the of the Prophet ﷺ's message, but he was too young to think about Islam. And then one day, while he was herding and grazing his goat and sheep, from far away he saw, he saw two men approaching him and coming towards him. The men looked very dignified and were hungry and thirsty because they were dressed, you know, they, they carried themselves properly and they, um, you know, they looked very um, dignified and, and mature and smart. And But they were hungry and they were thirsty. And they asked Abdullah bin Masood if he could milk a sheep so that they could drink from it. And Abdullah Masood was of such an honest, such a trustworthy uh, child that um, young youth that even though his boss was not around his um, the person who who was his that he worked for he he could have said yes right but he didn't um, and he he was honest and he said I'm sorry but I can't I cannot they are not my sheep and I am just looking after them that's it so you have to you know ask the the owner for that so the two men that were dignified, that were hungry and thirsty, came coming to Abdullah and Masood was the Prophet wasallam and his best friend Abu Bakr anhu. Right during um, the time of Mecca, there were times that the Prophet wasallam was um, they didn't live a lavish life. Right, there were times that they were really, really hungry very hungry. And during the day, the Prophet ﷺ would come out. And sometimes he would he would get up in the morning and he would ask his wife, you know, is there anything to eat? And his wife would say no. And then he would say, I'm fasting today. So he would make the intention after he woke up. And that's permitted in Islam. So then during the day when it was really hot and sunny, he when he would go outside because most people would stay indoors in Mecca because it's in a desert. He would see his friends, Abdullah, Abu Bakr or uh, Umar, and they were outside for the same reason, out of hunger pain. And they would get so hungry that they would, um, he would, like Abu Bakr or Umar, who would show him his stomach, their stomach, and how they had a rock on there and like, um, like rope tied around it. And the rock was there because to kind of put some pressure on the stomach so the growling, the hunger pains wouldn't bother them. And one day when the Prophet ﷺ came out and they had, he showed him the rock that he has in the stomach, he lifted up, the Prophet ﷺ lifted up his shirt and there were two rocks instead of one. So, um, subhanAllah, right? Um, so Abdullah bin Masood saw these two men and they asked for milk. And the Prophet wasallam said, um, what about a baby sheep? Do you have a baby sheep? Can we milk him? You know, we know that baby sheeps don't have milk because the only type of animal that has a milk is a adult woman, right? Um, mother sheep, right? So um, 
Abdullah thought about this, and when he heard this, he thought, wait a minute. These two dignified people coming towards me, they really aren't that smart, right? Uh, because don't they know that baby sheep don't give milk? So he said, go ahead here. There's a baby sheep right there. You know, he's watching them thinking, oh, this is like, a, there's no way he can do this, right? The Prophet wasallam took that baby sheep and, with, and put his blessed hands on the udder of the baby sheep. And it got filled with milk. And then he milked the baby sheep. And he offered the milk, the first drink, to Abdullah. And then he drank some and he offered it to his companion, Abu Bakr. Abdullah was so surprised and so impressed. He realized this is a miracle. Only a prophet can do this, right? Um, and he had heard the rumors that he was declaring to be a prophet, right? And when he saw this, and he was so impressed by the Prophet wasallam, um, that he was able to give him something good out of, uh, you know, out of nothing. Like he was able to, like he gave him a, a baby sheep and the Prophet wasallam was able to produce something good for him, milk. So that evening he was, he, he went home and he gave all the sheep and the goats back to their owner and he quit his job, even though he is in desperate need of this job just for his food because he's so extremely poor. But he quit. Then he went to the house of the Prophet and he offered himself in the service of Nabi and he became a Muslim. Because he realized that if this man, this beautiful man, Nabi is able to produce something that no one else can produce, then can you imagine what he can do with me? Like what I can be very... Um, productive. I can do amazing things if I am in the service of this amazing human being. So he was in the service of the Prophet wasallam from that day on. And he accompanied the Prophet wasallam everywhere. He shielded Nabi wasallam. He carried his walking stick. He carried his miswak, you know, his, his toothbrush. And he carried his belongings. So he was called Sahibul Wadu, which means barrier of the water for wudu. You know, barrier for, of the water for the Prophet ﷺ for his wudu. Um, the one who, who carries, who, who makes sure that the Prophet ﷺ has water. He was called, number two, Sahibul Siwak the carrier, the holder, the barrier of, of the miswak that the Prophet ﷺ used. And number three, he was called sahibul wisada, the barrier, the carrier of the bedding of the Prophet ﷺ. So you would always make sure that the Prophet ﷺ had water for his wudu, that the Prophet ﷺ had his miswak, that the Prophet ﷺ's bedding would be prepared for him when he was ready to sleep or take a nap during the day. So Abdullah bin Masood took Bayah with the Prophet ﷺ from day one. 
And he was a murid. He was a student of the Prophet ﷺ till the last day. So even after he went um, to migration to, to Medina with the Prophet ﷺ, he and Anas bin Malik both were in the service of the Prophet ﷺ. What a blessing, mashallah. He would wake up early in the morning and he would prepare the the Prophet Sallallahu things, and in the evening he would lay down his bedding. He was with the Prophet Sallallahu so much that he was the closest in character to the Prophet Sallallahu He talked like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He walked like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Every trait that he copied was exactly like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What a blessing! Like. When we know um, a really good teacher, a really good scholar around us, we should have our kids spend time with them, right? Be in their service, help them if they are teaching a class, help them if they're doing some program in the masjid, you know, um, be in their service because there's, because our scholars have learned the hadith, learned the seerah, learned um, the traits and characters of the Prophet ﷺ, and they follow it way more than we do. And so they can, our children can learn from them such beautiful things that you don't need to say in words, you just do in action, right? And being in their service is such a reward as well, right? Abu Musa bin Ashari who said, when he moved to Medina, and saw Abdullah freely walking inside and outside, um, exiting his home, the Prophet Sallallahu home, he would go in and out. Abu Musa thought that Abdullah was a part of the member of his family of the Prophet Sallallahu because he freely went in and out so often. That's how close he was to the Prophet Sallallahu Abdullah bin Masood was the best in reciting Qur'an. Once the Prophet ﷺ was walking with Abu Bakr who and Umar who and he was discussing something then, and then, then he heard a noise and he heard Abdullah reciting the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ could not take another step forward. He paused and he listened. And the Prophet ﷺ said, if you want, if you want to hear the Quran exactly as as it has it was re revealed, then listen to the recitation of Ibn Ub, Um Abd, which you know his his kunya, his his nickname, Abdullah bin Masood. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ said. Learn Quran from these four people because they have the most knowledge. The first one we know is Abdullah bin Masood radiallahu anhu. The second one is Salim, the freed slave of Hudayfa. The third is Ubaid bin Kab, Ubay bin Bahkab radiallahu anhu. And the fourth is Mu'ad bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. The Prophet ﷺ said, Abdullah, please recite some Qur'an for me. And Abdullah was shy and said, Ya Rasulullah, I recite Qur'an for you? Shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't you be reciting it to us because it was revealed to you? And the Prophet ﷺ said, I wish to hear it from someone else besides me. And Abdullah was like, but why me? You know, there are so many other people older, more knowledgeable, um, closer to him in age, right? The Prophet's age. 
And the Prophet said, O oh, Abdullah, in this world, your name might not be so big, but in the heavens, your name is mentioned every single day. Subhanallah, right? So Abdullah recited Surah Nisa and came to the verse that said, on the day you, on that day, you will be called as a witness for your people. And this is speaking to the Prophet And the Prophet when he heard this, his fear, face was filled with tears, right? He was moved so much. So after the Prophet passed away and left this world, learning kept on going, knowledge kept on moving, and it went from Medina to Kufa, to Basra, to Damascus. And whenever and wherever knowledge went, the Sahabas would move there because that's those are the people that took knowledge with them. And they wanted it to be everywhere, to expand to all the people of the world. So after the Prophet died, Abdullah moved to Kufa. Then someone came to Umar anhu, and who was a Khalifa at the time and said, there is this man who recites the Quran by heart, by memory, and teaches on the mimbar. And Umar, Umar who the Khalifa, got so angry, he said, I didn't give anyone permission to do that. It is the man that you sent, Abdullah. And Umar said, oh, okay, he's allowed to do it. Nobody else, because he was so close to the Quran. Abdullah bin Masood said, I know more than 6,000 revelations when it was revealed why it was revealed and what time it was revealed not only did he have the knowledge but he also had the rulings and the fiqh um, uh, the islamic rulings the islamic law for it so Hanafi, the Hanafi madhab, you know, we have four madhabs. We have Shafi, we have Ambali, we have Maliki, and we have Hanafi. And the Hanafi madhab is derived from Abdullah bin Masood's knowledge. Whenever Abdullah bin Masood would stand, stand, stand in front of the mimbar, he would give a khutbah. And despite his great knowledge, his face would turn color. It would change and his veins would change in color because he was so cautious and so worried that he... Because he had so much taqwa and he had so much fear that he would say, um, you know, قال, قال instead of, um, instead he would say, maybe the Prophet said this, maybe he said that because he want, he didn't want to be accountable of saying something wrong, even though he had so much knowledge. Abdullah also had a notable status because he killed Abu Jahl in the Battle of Badr. Even when Abu Jahl was dying in the Battle of Badr, he had pride, right? He said, is it going to be this slave of yours that's going to kill me? Why couldn't, you, why couldn't it be someone better than this? And Abu Jahl would say, when you slaughter my neck, right, cut it a little bit lower than everyone else. I can stand higher. <laughs> Subhanallah. Like, oh my gosh. So he still had so much pride till the last day. Abdullah bin Masood died 33, maybe 34 years after the Hijra. So Abdullah bin Masood, after retiring from his post in Kufa, went to Medina 
during the reign of Umar, when he was when Umar Radiyan, who was a Khalifa. And during Uthman's time, when he was a Khalifa after Umar who he came back to Medina. When he was about to die, Uthman asked, Uthman who the Khalifa asked him, said, one, what is your ailment? Like what, what, what problems do you have? And he said, my sins are my ailment. SubhanAllah. And then he asked him, he said, what is your desire? What do you want? said, I want to meet my Lord. I want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And three, he said, what shall I, shall I not give you your allowance, the money that you worked for, the money you, you deserve? And Abdullah, because Abdullah had refused all of this money for years, um, his allowance, his, his pay. And Uthman said, here, take it. You know, I don't, and Abdullah said, I have no need for it. I don't need it. And he said, what about your daughters? Give it to your daughters so they can have it. This is, you can give it to them as an inheritance. And he said, I have commanded um, them to recite Surah Waqiyah before they go to bed every night. That is enough for their risk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for them. And he said, don't you fear? Because Uthman wanted to know, don't you fear for your, for the, uh, for your, for your children's, your, your daughter's um, livelihood? And Abdullah had so much faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understood the, that risk, that sustenance comes from Allah, that he wouldn't even give his money to his children, his daughters. And he said, I have heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam recite Surah Waqiyah before bed. And he told us to do this. The Prophet ﷺ encourages us to recite Surah Waqiyah. And it's not that long. It's a couple of pages to memorize. It's really easy. Um, before bed, and you will not be in, afflicted with poverty. So this is a surah that I highly recommend you guys try to read, try to listen to every night, or at least once a week. You know, it'll help with your if you feel like you're having problems with money, if you feel like you're struggling with money because sustenance comes from Allah, right? So that night after um, talking to Uthman on his deathbed, his tongue was still moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was making dhikr and he was reciting Quran and he died at a very young age. He was only 59, considering like how old... Um, People diet now and and this was only 33, 34 years after Hijra. He was born in the year 594. So one day in, in Medina, Abdullah climbed a date palm tree. So this is kind of a story on his status, right? How, who he really is. And he, did, he climbed this tree, this date palm tree, to pick dates. And his heels were showing. And the other sahabas, they smiled and they laughed at how skinny and how small in stature Abdullah was because he was not a giant human. Right? He was a, a smaller, skinnier person. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, you shouldn't laugh. Those heels are heavier because they are more weightier in good deeds than that of 
the mountain of Ahud, which means that appearance doesn't really matter, right? It's not what you look like on the outside. That is not what Allah judges. Um, so for those who feel a little bit insecure about their, their looks, their height, their weight, any sort of appearance, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you for who you are on the inside, for the good deeds that you do, for the kindness, for the generosity, for the ibadah, for all those beautiful things that, that just um, resonate outward when you do them. And that is why I think Abu Jahl was such an arrogant person because he looked at Abdullah and he was this tiny person, man and he said, why is this small person killing me who's a giant, right? In stature and in, in uh, appearance and, and maybe even wealth. Um Ayman was the woman who took care of the Prophet ﷺ after his mother passed away at the age of six. And Um Ayman had an account accent, right? He, she, where she would say "Assalamu alaikum" in a very strange way, you know. And she couldn't help it. This was just something she had. She had like um, a lisp. So the Prophet ﷺ would say "Wa alaikum assalam" even before she finished her salams. Out of kindness, out of courtesy, out of covering her fault, right? And that's what we should do for one another. And he would tell everyone, don't laugh at Um Ayman. I have heard her footsteps in Jannah. And that's what he would say to the other Sahabis, which means that I have not heard your footsteps, but I have heard hers. So she's guaranteed Jannah. I don't know about everyone else, right? Never think that you are better because in reality, your status is not here. It is in Jannah. It is where you stand in on in the next life. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم البادئ بالسلام بريء من من الكبر. The one who initiates, who says the salam first, is free of pride. So the one to be the first to say salam. Why should we be the first to say salam? Right? Why shouldn't we just wait for someone else to say assalamu alaikum? First of all, when you go up to someone and you say assalamu alaikum. You are showing your humbleness. Instead of waiting for them and expecting something from them, you're going up to that person um, and you are being kind, you know, in, in the simplest little way. And second, if there's somebody that we have argued with, right, that we don't want to talk to, um, you know, at that point, you don't really want to be the first person to talk. Right? You don't want to be the first person to initiate. You just kind of want to avoid them. But you should be the first person to go up and speak to them because the person who says salams to somebody actually gets rewarded. And then the person who um, a salam is given to has to say walaikum as salam. Like, um, that's something we have to. We have to say walaikum as salam whether we want to or not. It's one of those um, replies we need to make. But the person who says who says salams is is free of pride, is free, free of arrogance because he doesn't have to say salams, but he chooses to do so. 
it's just like if you are, I understand this in a personal level because there was a point when I was not in great terms with somebody who was in relation to me, right? So we had to interact with each other often enough, not always, but often enough. And if I, um, and I knew that I had to say salams and I, and I knew when I read this hadith and I realized that, okay, in order for me to prove to myself that I am not the obnoxious one, that I am not the one that's holding a grudge, that I am not the one who's making it the relationship even worse, I would force myself to say salams. I would force myself to smile and I would force myself to be nice for that, not even a minute, like that half a minute. And I have to say it was difficult at first, but I realized that slowly, 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 I was actually helping myself. Like I wasn't holding grudges. I didn't really care about what had happened. I put it in the past. I let it go. Uh, but if I wouldn't have pushed myself to do it and I and I wasn't encouraged by this hadith, then maybe I would have held a grudge. Maybe I would have just said whatever. And then that relationship would get worse and worse and worse as the days and years went by. And so this hadith, this small act of kindness does huge wonders. Like it does so much good for a person and someone that they don't necessarily have a lot in common. And there, are, there will be people who we are somehow connected to, whether through marriage, whether through just family in general, whether through friends, um, that we need to be in good terms with, whether we like it or not. And so this hadith helps us make that simple and easy. And the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever lowers themselves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will elevate that person. So what an amazing station to have, right? So that when I forced myself to smile to somebody who I really didn't like, and when I force myself to say assalamu alaikum, because when you say assalamu alaikum, you have to have a smiling face. You have to be joyful. Otherwise, you can say assalamu alaikum and it really doesn't do the job, right? It doesn't do the job. So you have to be in a happy um, term. You have to sound like you want to say salams and you want good for that person, especially with your words, because your words are basically making dua for them. You're saying, may Allah have peace on you, right? May peace be upon you. I want good for you. This is what you're saying with those simple, beautiful words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to say. Izza, respect, is in the hands of Allah, not in the hands of people. So if we want our respect for ourselves, if we want to be treated with dignity and respect, then we need to take the steps and listen to what the Prophet has taught us to do, right? We're his students. If a person dies protecting the izza, then they are considered a martyr. So you shouldn't lower yourself for just anyone, right? You shouldn't, it shouldn't just be for people who disrespect you. There is some sort of a balance you should have. There is some sort of a limit you should have. But saying assalamu alaikum will not do that, right? 
it, it will it will bring you up in station, right? You're not, it's just the first simple charity that someone can make to others, to everyone around them, wishing them well. And as adults, if we hold grudges, if we say, you know what, I'm not going to talk to that person, even though I have to see them once a month, let's say. And we have children watching us all around us, seeing our every move, noticing how we interact with people, how we treat people. And if we hold grudges, they're, they're taking a lesson. They're, we're making an example, not a really good example. So our children are come to us with a blank slate, right? They have nothing on it. And whatever we show them, whatever we set an example for, they will fill their slate with that. That is the character they will pick up. We don't even have to say it in words. We don't even have to sit down and say, hey, I'm going to teach you a class on adequate, right? Our example will teach them a class on adequate. Knowledge in childhood is like engraving in a stone, right? It happens slowly, but one drop of water at a time on a rock will eventually make a dent. And then that dent you cannot take away. Like it's, it's there forever. The person who initiates the salam is a very humble um, person who lowers themselves. And pride is when you think you are superior and you think you are perfect and someone else is inferior, less than you. <clears throat> if a person has pride, then they will expect others to say salams to them and that they don't have to say salams to others. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever possesses even a mustard, even a mustard seed of pride, and you know how small a mustard seed is? It's really tiny will never enter Jannah. So pride is the same sickness which has caused shaitan to be rejected. Right? Remember that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told shaitan, if you ever, even after what had happened, right? He had asked shaitan to um, bow to Adam alayhi salam and he didn't do it out of pride. And then even later on, Allah told him, if you ever come to me all you have to do is make sujood to the grave of Adam salam, and I will forgive you. And this is what messed up shaitan, right? He never did it from the beginning and he never do it, did it at the end. So you, he used his pride as a prescription on people instead of others, instead of other tricks to take them away from the deen. So he also works on us and says, hey, you don't need to say that salams to that person, that person was really mean to you. Just whatever, walk away. But you need to say no. <laughs> you know, it's not going to take anything of me. Um, one of the really good tricks of of bringing um, a, like comfort or not comfort, but um, bring the hearts together of of somebody you don't really like or for whatever they did. A good trick is to make du'a for them in their absence. Like, so when you're sitting in prayer and there's someone that just ticked you off, that did something horrible to you in the past, that didn't apologize, but you have to interact with them 
on, on a monthly basis or something. Make do after them. Whatever you ask for your ask, ask for that, ask this for the same thing for that person first. Slowly, slowly, lo- slowly, when you make do after them, your heart will become gentle towards them because they're human. In the end, people make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes and everyone deserves a second chance. I'm not saying that if someone has harmed you, you should forget, but you should forgive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A Muslim should never forget what someone has done if it's been hurtful, but they should forgive them and go on. They should not forget because they should know, like, I don't want to fall. I don't want to be hurt twice. I don't want to fall on the same crack, right? And remember what type of a person that person can be if they're in the worst situation, but but forgive them because forgiveness, um, if, we, if we're able to forgive others, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive us. And I know there are some things that we cannot forgive, but making dua for them will slowly soften your heart because you don't want to hold grudges. That's not something you want to leave this world with. No one is worth that much. So there are signs, um, there are many signs that, that when a person has pride, one of them is if you, if you expect respect from others and you expect everyone should come up to you, right? Two is when you reject advice from anyone, when you prevent, which prevents you from ex- accepting the truth. Instead, we should say my correct, you know, my correctedness should be, should come from anyone, even our children. You know, we should humble ourselves. If they say, mommy, you, you know, you did something wrong. You should be able to say, I did. What was that? You know, and listen. Illnesses of the heart come and build up over time if we don't stop ourselves and change, knowing that they ha- we have certain faults because we all have faults. Three, a person with a sign of pride is someone who speaks harshly. They have a tongue that becomes harsh and they say harsh things and they don't feel bad. For when you become angry easy, right? Things tick you off very easily. If you see these characters in yourself, you should try to um, change yourself. Five, when you view others as lower than yourself. Instead, you should look at others, every person as better than you. If they are Muslim, if they, you know, they're better than me. If they're not, then maybe one day they will die. Um, they will they will take the shahada before they die. And then they will have no sin before they meet their Lord. So then they're better than me. If we find these five qualities in us, then we should find a cure for them. And there are many books that we can follow, like Purification of the Heart. And other books that, that follow... Um, this type of healing for for diseases of the heart that we can read about and try to implement in our life. Pride is such that it could turn all the good deeds that we have into dust, nothing but dust. Whoever has in their heart a weight of a mustard seed of pride, then they will not enter Jannah. I mean, remember that. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said. So every time you feel 
that you cannot change yourself because you have a little bit of pride, you should remember that no matter how many good deeds you have, it'll be nothing. Allah will not allow us to enter Jannah if we go with pride. So that's one thing I think almost everyone needs to work on in this world. So inshallah, I'm going to end here. Otherwise, I, there's so much I can say about the treatments of pride, why people are prideful. Um, but I'm going to leave that for another time when I do a series on purification of the heart, inshallah. But um, with this, remember that saying your salams, mashallah, you get rewarded for it. You um, take away pride from your heart. You soften your heart towards everyone around you even the ones you don't really love so much. And uh, you, more than anything else, you are being pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right, you guys, enjoy your iftar. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for joining me, Maliha Mahmoud, on Muslim Health Talk. Please do check us out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and our website, Muslim Health Talk. Assalamu alaikum 